0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us for yet another episode and I'm excited about today's conversation, first of all, because it's been a little while since I've recorded an interview for the Boca podcast, but secondly, I have with me yet again, a friend of mine, Sarah Wiley. Sarah was on the Boca podcast in episode 171 with us before. She's joining us yet again. Sarah, you're one of the few photographers who have been on a second time, so count yourself honored. (laughs) We're going to actually get into a totally different topic than than we did this past time, but um, I appreciate you making time for us yet again today. No problem. And the last time, and as we normally do with the Boca podcast, we start off with something called a technique for time. I know that you shared one last time, but talk to us a little bit more again about a way that you save time and your day-to-day workflow Workflow um, in order to create space for yourself, in order to create freedom for yourself as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. And so last time, since I talked to you, I know we discussed how bad I was previously about time management and I was still learning how to do that since I'm relatively new to the business. Right. Yeah. So, um, not only have I been really adamant about outsourcing projects, but I actually got on the beautiful interwebs and started looking up different technique for time since we talked. And I tried to start implementing this thing called Pomodoro. It's it's it means tomato and it's a technique for time. Yes. And it's an app on your phone you can get and you essentially just set the timer for 25 minutes and focus on one task and then you earn a break after that. And then once you get four tomatoes, you can step away from the computer for a longer amount of time. So that's actually been pretty helpful.
0: So uh, this is something that we've talked about in the podcast before. I'm glad you bring it up because only a few photographers have mentioned it. And I think it's a really powerful technique that enables and encourages focused work, right? Because it's easy. Yes. I mean, when I think about a, a uh, that somebody who's going to a corporate office, let's just say kind of that stereotypical picture going to sit in a cubicle for eight hours a day, the likelihood of that person spending maybe two to let's say three hours of that eight hours really getting good work done is maybe not even that high, right? So that's And that's less than 50% of that eight hours. So the question, the big question mark is, how can we as business owners, it's hard enough when we're going to work for somebody else to to, con, to work consistently and work in a focused manner. Now we're working for ourselves and we have a lot of freedom and flexibility potentially. How do we make sure that we get stuff done and not just get stuff done, but do it in a way that's very, very focused where we're Actually allocating mental resources, creative resources to the task at hand and doing a really, really great job. And I think this is a really great way to do it. It's giving very focused time, set everything else aside. Don't keep the social media open and the email open and whatever, but 25 minutes focused on whatever the task is. Uh, and then you get to take a break at the end, and I and I think, I think that 's i mean it 's you know hashtag first world problems right we, we, we <laughs> work twenty five minutes and we need a five minute break but yeah. when it comes to workflow principles i think it 's actually extremely effective because our tendency is to work for hours on end potentially, uh, but with you know like five minutes here and maybe fifteen minutes there, and then go scan Facebook and then jump into the email yep. and then we get back to the task at hand and um, so I, this is a really powerful technique. And did you say you downloaded an app called Pom- Pomodoro?
1: Yes, I did. And that's so funny. You mentioned that because the one thing I noticed about myself and I know a lot of my photographer friends have this same exact problem. So I'll sit at my desk and I will forget to eat and I won't do, I essentially won't be moving. I'll be sitting here, but I'm doing so much social media and scrolling that once I actually open like Lightroom to edit, I'll notice I'm editing like 20 photos, but I'm sitting in front of the computer for eight hours. Yes. So that app has helped a ton.
0: Well, and, and I think this is something that I would venture that even most photographers do. I mean, you, you regularly see on Facebook, people talk about, uh, or they'll ask, hey, what what's a favorite show? I want to watch a show while I'm editing photos exactly. tonight. The the, the, multi, the the tendency to multitask is pretty rampant and and pretty commonplace. And while it may feel nice to be able to to kind of watch a show in the background while you're also editing, the reality is you're probably taking two, three, four, five times as long to get that particular thing done, Uh, when the reality is you could could allocate a fraction of that time as long as you gave it focus, allocate a fraction of that time, get the work done, and then go enjoy watching a show or go spend time with people that you enjoy spending time with or whatever the case may be. But it's all about focus. And I love working in, in focused short bits of time. And uh, so this is really, really great. I don't mean to, to kind of belabor this point too long, but for those of you who need help with this, it's a really, really powerful concept. Do a quick Google search and we'll link to uh, both the app and, and maybe a quick uh, Wikipedia article in the show notes at bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. Uh, for so that you can better understand what this principle is about. But there are a number of apps actually in the App Store. In fact, I just downloaded one the other day called Focus. And uh, I'm, I'm a kind of a stickler for design. I like apps that are well-designed and, and relatively minimalist. And, uh, focus is another good one that implements that Pomodoro technique. And, uh, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. By the way, Sarah, you mentioned going online and searching for resources that would kind of give you ideas for saving time. I'll mention to our listeners that bookapodcast.com uh, Haley edits our podcast, also posts the show notes from each of the podcast episodes, and she posts the techniques for time for all of our guests in the show notes. Of all the episodes that we 've done, and um, we 've we've been doing this now for quite some time we 've got close to one hundred and eighty episodes or so. so there is a lot of helpful information for those of you listening in. Make sure you go to the show notes. Um, you can get a summary of the episodes. you can get the kind of the primary talking points, including the techniques for time it 's a really, really great resource. All right. I, I talked way too much in that first point. Sarah, I really appreciate you sharing your technique for time today. Let's jump to the next question. And again, I asked you in the first episode when we had you on in episode 171 uh, about the, uh, one of the toughest lessons that you've learned as a business owner. And I'm curious maybe if you would share another one so that our listeners, especially those who are new in the business, might be able to avoid making the same mistake.
1: So, one of the ones that I am currently teaching myself a lot about is how to take criticism. And this goes for the photography community, to your clients, to guests, and everything of that sort. And I mean, the main thing I'll say about this is that not every single client is going to be happy. And I think that's something that was a really hard pill for me to swallow because I've been doing it for about three years, which is not a long time in the scheme of things. So I'm I'm now kind of starting to deal with different types of situations where I'll edit pretty consistently, but one client will say, hey, um, I typically like things like just a little bit cooler or warmer or whatever it may be. So that's definitely a tougher lesson because it's hard not to feel like they're trying to offend you, if I'm Mm. saying that correctly. Yeah. So.
0: And and you know what? This is an interesting uh, one I could probably easily get carried away on again, but it's an interesting point of conversation. And I think, I, I, it resonates with me because this has been a a point of struggle for me on a personal level. I mean, not to mention business, but you know, when, when people give you constructive criticism, sometimes not so constructive, maybe sometimes they're just yelling it at you, but um, when they give you negative feedback about you personally or about your business, it's hard not to take it personally and to kind of be able to remove yourself from it, look at it objectively, take, take the valuable um, at least components of that feedback and apply them and ignore the rest and move on. But we're, we're human. And so it's easy to take it personally and sometimes kind of let that get to us to the point that maybe it, you know, kind of slows us down whether personally or professionally. And I think it's great advice that you give, which is to be open to feedback, whether it's from a client or from photographers because, you know, photographers they are posting pictures on Facebook or maybe in Facebook groups and there's a high likelihood that somebody might post some constructive or maybe not so constructive feedback. Take it for what it's worth, learn from it, and then move on. And And uh, I think that's really, really great advice. Be open to that kind of feedback. It's a great suggestion, both for newer photographers and for those who've been in the industry for a while alike. So thank you for that as yeah. well. And and let's jump to something else that we talked about before. I want to hear another favorite item in your gear bag. What's something that you've been using quite a bit lately that uh, you would recommend to our listeners?
1: So this next thing is something that I was pretty In denial about. So I feel like I have a pretty good range of lenses in my bag. And the one lens that a lot of people would suggest to me was the 70 to 200. And I did not understand the hype. I was like, I don't get it. I have a 24 to 70. I have an 85. Like I have all of these lenses, 135. Why would I need this? And I just bought it the other day. And I I swear I used it for like three entire sessions. I didn't take it off my camera. I was like, okay, I understand now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so
1: nice. Yeah. And
0: what do you like about it? Like what are the standout features that draw you to the lens?
1: Well, I really like that it has image stabilization, mm. which a lot of, a lot of lenses nowadays don't have that. So it's really awesome because I have naturally kind of shaky hands. And even if I'm inhaling and exhaling, I still kind of shake a little bit. Yeah. So it just, it creates a really great picture. And I was nervous about it not going down low enough, but even at 2.8, it still looks incredible. So it, it looks, I like that.
0: Yeah, it looks amazing. And, and I, think, um, I think 2.8 isn't given enough credit on the aperture range these days. Photographers get all excited about the 1.4 and the 1.2 lenses. The reality is 2.8, even with something like a 50 millimeter lens, still looks absolutely beautiful and is going to kind of set your imagery apart from the average snapshot that a consumer might get. So I think that's important to keep in mind. That lens was probably my favorite lens as a a full-time photographer, that 70 to 200, especially when it came to engagement sessions, because it let me remove myself from the personal space of my relatively new clients at the time. I'm meeting them for an engagement session. I've never photographed them before. And likely they've not been photographed before, at least in that and in a similar context. And so I need them to be relatively comfortable. If I was up in their face with the lens, there's a likelihood or a high likelihood that they would be uncomfortable and that would translate to the images. And so the idea that I could step back from them and be able to capture something from afar while they almost begin to forget that I'm there photographing, I thought was absolutely amazing. Have you found a similar experience?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And I know we talked about this in the the last podcast, but my huge, I guess, brand position identifying piece of my business is the guest shots. So I can super creep on guests now without being (laughs) actually in their face. And it's amazing. I can just hang back. And I don't have to like get all up in their faces. So it's super great.
0: (laughs) Well, and to that point too, that the other big benefit that I've found from that 70 to 200 is something that you pointed out. The image stabilization uh, is extremely handy. Uh, And and funny enough, I actually used to have a pretty significant issue with shaky hands as well. It seems to be a hereditary thing. My dad's got it really, really bad. My grandmother had it really bad as well. Um, But through using the 70-200, first of all, having the image stabilization enabled me to shoot as low as a 15th of a second and get a tack-sharp image, but through the process of using that lens, learning to control my breath, and really learning to focus in the moment, the shaking in my hands literally went away, um, and it's not been much of an issue since, and I'm crossing my fingers, I hope that continues to be the case, but uh, you never know what might come from this, this beautiful 70-200 to lens, it might even um, address the, sh- the shakiness in your hands.
1: Yeah,
0: I hope so. It's a great lens. Well, thanks for that suggestion. And for those of you who have not tried a 70-200, to do make sure you give one a shot at some point. Um, That that beautiful, beautiful compression that you get, especially at the 200-millimeter range at 2.8 is just absolutely stunning. And of course, being able to reach in without getting in your client's personal space is great as well. Something that I noticed when looking at your Instagram account not too long ago was a really interesting statement. You said a thing you see in my photos is that I was not afraid to fall in love with these people. And, yes. and it, I mean, even just reading that out loud kind of gives me goosebumps, but w- will you explain a little bit about what you meant by that statement?
1: Yeah. So I just say like, yes, that is totally what my entire business is about. And it's just for me, I saw that quote somewhere. I want to say it's from, I might pronounce her name wrong Is Annie, Annie Leibovitz, huge, huge Le- yeah. huh Yes. Yeah. And I saw that quote from her and it just sat with me because photography is all about vulnerability and you really have to be open to every single type of person. Just every di- like every single person is going to be different and you have to be vulnerable and open if you're actually going to tell their story the way it deserves to be told, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It, well, you know, Again, especially as uncomfortable as a lot of these clients or potential clients may be in front of the camera for the first time, Uh, if they look to you or look at you as the professional, this this person with a camera who happens to be taking a picture of them versus um, what seems to be kind of the environment you're creating, which is, a friendship with somebody who happens to have a camera and is going to be taking a picture of you, um, that, that scenario creates a much more comfortable environment where they're more likely to relax and allow you to capture the real side of them, um, which of course their friends and family will also more aptly recognize. So I, I, I think that kind of vulnerability and openness and willingness to connect with people um, I mean, it has its benefits on a personal level, it has its benefits on a, on a business level, even if you 're just trying to kind of sell your brand. but when it comes to actually capturing beautiful imagery that that exemplifies raw emotion and real connection they 're more likely to feel comfortable enough to show that type of connection and emotion if they feel comfortable with you and so you kind of set the tone by being vulnerable and open with your clients in order for them to feel comfortable with you and i 'm curious. How do you create that environment with them? I mean, does it start from the time that you meet them? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so I feel like a lot of my personality comes out the second that they email me with an inquiry. I'm really just, I'm I'm just very, I'm very friendly and I'm, I talk to them as a friend. So instead of just being very cold and here you go, this and that and yada, yada, I'm very like, hey, how's it going? Thanks for reaching out. And I just get them very open from the initial point of contact. And then obviously, as we talk about the session, we're learning more about each other. One thing I'm going to start implementing is questionnaires, because I think that's really beneficial to send a couple, um, a questionnaire. And I actually got that idea from one of your photographers. I think his name was Rich Smith. And he said that he sends a questionnaire out to every single couple just to get a good idea of what they're looking for. And I think that's so smart.
0: It is a great idea. And that was actually a really good episode too. We'll make sure to link to that. Uh, it was a Workflow Wednesday episode that um, we had with Rich Smith um, from Rich Smith Photography. We'll make sure to link to that episode in the show notes so that those of you who are listening and haven't heard it, you make sure you go check it out. It is a great idea to send that kind of questionnaire. And Rich is really creative when it comes to connecting with his clients. So I think it's a, it's a great episode to listen into for the sake of inspiration. Um, but, you know, you made a, a great point, which is that um, you avoid the formality of, you know, the typical interaction that you might see between two people who don't know each other and you just jump right to being friendly. And I, in this day and age, I mean, 2018, I, I think there's little reason not to just be open and, and even vulnerable to an extent up front um, when you're developing relationships with people, even in business, at this point, what is largely going to set us apart from other photographers because there are so many of them is our personality, so your willingness to open up to be vulnerable to connect with them on on a deeper personal level is going to make a, a big impact and then, as I mentioned earlier it's going to translate to more comfortability for the client when it comes to photographing them. And that translates to the images so I think it's a great thing let's let 's just put ourselves out there and if there are insecurities on our part, I say this for myself and and all of those listening in as well. If there are insecurities that are keeping you from being open and vulnerable. Again, whether it's on a personal level or on a professional level, address those, get to the root of those, what's causing that, and, um, and then move on from that. Because there is nothing like even just a simple interaction. I, I love when I get to travel, being in an airport or on an airplane and getting to connect with somebody who I may not ever see again. And yet I have this beautiful, beautiful conversation with them because I was willing to open up and connect with them. And yeah. uh, I, I think if, if we're willing to set our insecurities aside or address our insecurities for the sake of, uh, being able to open up, uh, we'll, will experience incredible reward on multiple levels. It'll be more than worth it. So, uh, that's again, a great point, And I appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts on that quote. Uh, you've since, well, actually since the last time we had you on the podcast, your, your website's been updated and pretty significantly, and I'd love for you to kind of chat about both the changes that you made, but then also the reasoning behind those changes, if you don't mind.
1: Definitely. And it did change drastically. I feel like before my website was not necessarily a beginner website, but I didn't have a lot of concrete information on there. And going through my rebranding process, I just really wanted to make a portal for clients and photographers. And I wanted to give so much information so it, it was kind of necessary to create a new website that just had that more professional polished look over the blog type feel.
0: And have you seen a noticeable difference in the way that potential clients are engaging with you since you've updated the site?
1: Absolutely. And I look at that, I look at the analytics every single day and I'm just, I am blown away how if you have a well-constructed website, you will get so much organic traffic just mm. directly through Google. And that's crazy to me because it used to be my top revenue source was Facebook and then it would be email or Instagram. And now it's Facebook, obviously, but then the second one is direct. So it's it's just crazy to me that people are finding my website and not only wanting to spend time on it, but actually booking me through it.
0: And and to your point, uh, again, for those of you listening in who didn't hear my previous conversation with Sarah in episode 171, make sure you go back uh, because Sarah shares what she learned about how to utilize Facebook to, to create a really thriving business. Um, but then to your point, Sarah, it is interesting that Google is still such a, and I guess maybe not necessarily surprising, um, but it's still even a significant source of business for photographers edit. When we look at the uh, source of new accounts, about twenty, I think the last number I saw was roughly twenty four percent, twenty two percent or so of accounts created this year in two thousand and eighteen with photographers edit is through organic Google search. not adWords. we We didn't have great luck with AdWords having in some time, but organic Google search. and of course, part of part of being effective on Google is having a presence being visible. And that has some pretty significant ties to SEO still. We'll make sure to link to the episode with Ben Turner about SEO and our, and our website and how that ultimately relates to visibility. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. It was a really great conversation I had with Ben some time ago. But it's really interesting that you're finding such a significant difference. One of the things I'm noticing on your site, I'm, I'm on here right now, uh, is something I've literally never seen on a photographer's website in you know 18 or so years in in the industry. And that is a link that says late policy. Talk to us a little bit about why you've got that link up there and what difference that makes for your business.
1: That policy being on my website has made a tremendous difference because I know I told you last time one of my things I learned was deposits and just collecting that to make sure people aren't necessarily taking advantage of your time. And ever since I went through my website rebranding, I really wanted to make it very clear that I dedicate 2000% to every single photo session. So I really want people to be aware that that's essentially my business is taking all this time to dedicate to you so I just think it works way better if the communication is there beforehand. And not, not only that, but I can't tell you how many people beforehand would just show up 15, 20, 30 minutes late, and I'd be sitting there like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I have another session in 45 minutes or something along those lines. So just having it right there that I can send people to that page makes them aware that I'm taking this extremely seriously. And being so busy, I don't have that extra time to kill. Like I could have gotten out a wedding gallery in that 30 minutes I was sitting there waiting. So I think it's super important to implement that.
0: That's really interesting. So I'm curious, I know that you just launched the site. I'm curious to see how this plays out. And if you get any kind of negative feedback from clients, have you as of yet?
1: No, not at all. Which is I, I was honestly curious about it as well. Yeah. And I have not gotten any negative feedback. And the one time I shared, I like to share a lot of my stuff to my Facebook, obviously. So the one time I shared it, I got an overwhelming response of clients just being like, oh, well, I would assume that's how everybody would treat you or treat a business owner. And it it's crazy. I have not had one person have an issue with, with it. But I also think It's because it's the way I went about saying it. I didn't want to be very blunt or mean. I just wanted to be very upfront and say, hey, I spend a lot of time on you. So in turn, just try to respect my time.
0: Well, and I will say that you are quite straightforward. I mean, I'm looking at the last section on that page. It says it's labeled tardiness or titled tardiness. And you said if you have a 60 minute session scheduled and you're 20 minutes late, you will then have a 40 minute session. Yes. Uh, if you are more than 30 minutes late without calling, you will forfeit your booking fee and we will have the right to cancel the session. I mean, you can't get much more straightforward than that. But um, I, I love that you're really upfront about that. And I wonder if this would benefit a lot more photographers, because I'm sure there are a, just an unlimited number of uh, photographers who are experiencing the, the situation that you're talking about, which is where clients are kind of taking advantage of the situation. There's little respect for your time. And that ultimately affects your business It hurts your business. So uh, this is an interesting example for, for photographers. And if you all haven't seen uh, Sarah's website, make sure you go to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, photography, p-d-x.com. And check out that late policy section. It's really quite fascinating, and and uh, kudos to you for stepping out on, uh, kind of going out on a limb, but doing something that that ultimately would benefit your business.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 honestly hard to be very upfront as a new business owner, but I really want people to get the right idea from me right off the back, and I really only want clients that are super, super dedicated and really going to be respectful of, um, not only me, but themselves and their session and the business. So it's, it's been going really great.
0: Oh, good for you. That's, that's really great. And speaking of going well, I know that we talked about this in the last episode of the last conversation that we had, but, um, your business has taken off very quickly. You've only been in business for three years, but it's done very, very well. And this is ultimately translated to you going ahead and adding associate photographers to the business and and you've done this much quicker probably than the average photographer does. How did you decide to make this move and, and start adding associates?
1: The funny thing with that portion is that I actually had a bride about I want to say about a year ago, she contacted me and she was a friend previously and I had done her friend's wedding and we really hit it off and connected really well. And she asked me if I was available and I had the date booked, unfortunately, but she actually said, Oh, well, do you do any type of, I've heard of people having someone shoot the wedding and they still edit it, which I really love your editing style. And I kind of thought about it. I was like, I will get back to you on that because I actually have quite a few photographer friends and maybe I'll put that feeler out there. So it was actually that bride who sparked it. And then over the course of a few months, I just kind of realized I don't really have to do this by myself anymore. (laughs) That could be awesome.
0: And so this is, I mean, you're so pragmatic about it and and I like the straightforward mentality, but what was the... What was the experience like when you hired that that first photographer?
1: It was terrifying, to be honest. It was probably the most scary thing I've done as a business owner, knowing that things wouldn't be completely in my control. Yeah. So I had to really make sure to think about it um, before I did it, and I told her like, "Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna book this yet. But in a couple months, if I kind of." Mold this the right way. I would love to offer you that. And it was terrifying because you obviously can't be there. You're not going to be the one that's directing the couple. So it's intense.
0: (laughs) Well, and and, you know, this is an interesting point of conversation yet again when it comes to being an entrepreneur, running a business, and ultimately, and hopefully, um, most, if not all of our listeners, are going to develop their business and their own personal business sense to the extent that they will then put themselves in the position of being a ceo of being a manager and delegating work in one form or another to either others in house or maybe third party companies like of course photographers edit but when it comes to delegating work outside of yourself uh, there is a natural fear that things aren't going to be done the exact same way so there there are really two main concepts to be considered there one is that it's okay that this person or these people can't match what you do 100%. Nobody can be 100% you. And a slight bit of compromise in that process is is okay. But then along with that, it's extremely important to communicate in great, great detail what it is that you're looking for. And th- this is something, honestly, that we see a lot with photographers edit. The process of delegating something like editing, which is so personal, to someone else, Um, it certainly, first of all, can be nerve wracking, but then that process itself cannot go smoothly unless you take the time to communicate in detail uh, and, and really, I would say structure as well, not just detail, but in an organized manner, it's really, really important, to communicate the information associated with that particular task or set of tasks so that the person that you're handing this work off to can repeat that process effectively. And um, so this is something you can be considered if, if you as a, as a listener are a sole proprietor, a photographer who want to get some of the work off your plate and want to delegate work, whatever that might be, some admin work, maybe it's editing or album design, or in this case, the actual photography, understand that it's going to be a process of kind of letting go of your ego a little bit uh, for the sake of being able to delegate to someone else. And then also the importance, the significance of communicating in great detail yet again, Sarah, forgive me. I've been kind of rambling for a little bit here. I'd love to get your take on those two ideas in your experience as you did begin to, to take
1: on associate photographers. So it's definitely not easy, but like you said, if you communicate, everything runs um, rather smoothly. So the thing that I notice is first and foremost, my business is about the client experience over everything. So mm. I initially wanted to find people that had kind of a similar personality, like very driven, very bubbly, can get along really well with clients and guests and brides and grooms. Um, So that's first and foremost, the foundation of my business is finding people that are like-minded.
0: And I, and I think, you know what, that is such a powerful point. It's so simple and yet so significant because at the end of the day, the way that we see things, I mean, again, whether it's image editing or something like the the approach to photography, the way that we see things as individual photographers is Kind of overshadowed by our ego, right we it's easy to think this is the best way or the only way to do something, and the reality is that there are a million different ways to do something and and to do something effectively. so at the end of the day, if the the product that is being provided or the service that's being provided effectively represents your brand, that is what's most important and I think that's very uh, intelligent of you as a business owner, somebody who is learning to play manager and CEO. Uh, that that was your priority. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful piece of advice for our listeners and wonderful example for our listeners. But I want to talk, I'm going to kind of shift a little bit. When we talk about taking on associate photographers, we can look at the workflow side of things, and this is something we have discussed on the podcast before, but I'd like for you to talk to us a little bit about how you took on associate photographers uh, without hurting your brand. How did you go about making this change without hurting uh, your brand, Sarah Lynn Photography?
1: Well, the first one I was going to mention kind of goes hand in hand with what I just mentioned is that it's really all about finding people that have um, similar personalities. People that I trust can create a really incredible client experience. That is definitely the first and most important part of my business is the client experience. So I really want to find people that can interact really well and that aren't shy around hundreds of people. And that's definitely super important.
0: And when it comes to interviewing photographers, do you find that you are naturally intuitive? Can you read these, these potential associates very well? Does it take a little bit of time? Um, Do you have them come on as as a second shooter in a job or two, just to make sure that, that you really know who these people are and how they'll actually engage with your clients?
1: Oh, absolutely. I can, I'm can. i definitely intuitive and I can tell right away if someone's going to be very into it or kind of get lazy or um, not really see the entire process through of the wedding aspect of things. So I, I can definitely tell right away if someone's not going to work out by the way they interact with me in the initial consult.
0: Really? Okay, so before you even go on a shoot, you're able to read them well enough. That's interesting. And, and I, that's probably a, a, an acquired talent, too, because I know even I can be gullible. I'm almost 40 years old, and I feel like I've got enough life experience <laughs> under my belt that, that I can read people pretty well. But I'm not always right. And um, so I, kudos to you for that. But again, you make a really powerful point, which is to make sure that the person coming on board, I mean, obviously, there's, there's got to be a baseline talent set when it comes to the actual photography. But what's mm-hmm. even more important than that is that this person's going to aptly represent your brand well, and uh, that is priority number one. So that's great. T- take us to another point. How do you make this, this change to take on associate photographers without uh, hurting your existing brand?
1: Yeah, another point is honesty. And that is a fully loaded word, but it's just... What I mean by that is being very transparent with your clients. So if a client contacts me, I will, and I have the date booked previously, I will immediately tell them, hey, I'm booked for the day, first and foremost, period. And then the next thing I go into is we do have teams available that could um, photograph your wedding. And then I, I go into the whole spiel about associate shooting and what they can expect for the day. I've actually been really surprised how many people are okay with that. Not, not saying that we don't provide an incredible experience because my brides love my associate photographers, but, um, just as a consumer on a consumer side of things, it, it seems like it wouldn't be as successful as it has been. So I think being honest is definitely a huge, huge thing because you don't want to have a random person just show up to the client's wedding and then be like, what is going on? I thought I was having you.
0: Yeah. And so when they actually go to book you, um, Sarah Lynn Photography, do they, is there any indication that, that you are working with associate photographers or if there's a date available, you have a calendar, are they able to see whether or not it's you that's available versus your associates?
1: So I'm in the works of figuring the calendar portion of things out. I actually wanted to look a little bit into Calendly, the thing that you use, Uh (laughs) Calendly. I might be saying that wrong. But um, yeah, so as soon as they, it all comes after the client reaches out initially. So when they inquire about the date, I will tell them if I have it available and if I don't. If I do have it available, I obviously go through, um, my welcome spiel and get all that situated. But if I don't, I tell them what teams are available. And I think I, since my rebranding, I have done a very good job of letting people know, um, that I am a brand now. Like I'm not just me. I, I speak a lot like we now, so I don't say I have this available or I've been doing this. I'm, I'm really good about verbiage. So I try to say, this is what we're up to. Like click here to see our team and our recent journey.
0: And when you, do you actually meet with clients usually before the wedding? And if so, and an associate photographer is booked, are they meeting with that client before the wedding?
1: Yeah. So I actually, in the next portion, I kind of go over this a little bit, but So I actually see the entire process through. The only thing that my associate is responsible for is showing up to photograph the wedding. And I've found that it's a consistency thing that I like doing that. So I really like to be the person that they stay in contact with up until the day of. And then I'm the one who finishes it off.
0: Wow, that's that's really interesting. Well, it, it certainly shows the commitment to your brand and, and um, speaks loudly, I'm sure, to why you've seen so much success. But uh, you mentioned finding using a system uh, in order to, to be able to book clients and then, of course, make the option of an associate. Uh, available. And I'm not sure. I wish I, I knew this off the bat. I know that we've talked ab- about a variety of CRMs, ShootQ, um, ShootFlow, HoneyBook, and and so forth that enable you to be able to book clients. And uh, I don't know if some of those systems have that ability built in to be able to add an associate and they can choose from an available associate. I think that'd be a great feature if it doesn't already exist. Uh, you yeah. mentioned Calendly. Calendly is something that I would certainly recommend to our listeners as a really great tool, at least for scheduling appointments. It minimizes the need for back and forth. You're able to sh- share a calendar with whoever it is that you're communicating with. They can pick an available time slot on an available date and schedule something with you. And that it really is so uh, helpful in creating a more efficient workflow. So we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. But do you have a- another point or idea when it comes to making this change in your business, taking on associate photographers without hurting your existing brand. Any other thoughts to add to, to that?
1: Yeah, and that was kind of what I stumbled onto on the second point, but it's just being consistency and that as an entity has really helped my brand overall. So like I mentioned, I'll handle the communication, the engagement sessions, I'll help with the timeline they just show up, photograph the wedding. Unless if I have a client that wants to meet the photographer, I have no problem with that. And we can set up a console or a Skype interview just so they can meet them face to face because I would never expect someone to go through with a wedding being uncomfortable, not knowing who's going to show up for their wedding. So It's just, it's really just consistency, making sure that I'm there for the entire process and then editing the entire wedding afterwards. So that seems to make it more successful.
0: And so we talked a little bit about the significance of communication earlier and more specifically communicating in detail. Uh, This is so, so important when it comes to delegating anything associated with your business, but especially if you're taking on associate photographers So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about some of the ideas that drive the training um, that you give your associate photographers in order to represent your band accurately. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what that looks like, both when it comes to shooting style as well as how they interact with customers?
1: Yeah, and it's it's definitely still a work in progress. I think it always will be, but I've found a few things that seem to work better. Um, The first one being that kind of like I hit on before. I have to find first and foremost, someone who has not only a similar personality, but a similar style to me. That way I'm not needing to ask, I'm not having to ask them to go too far off track from what they normally shoot. I don't have a problem doing that if they're interested enough in the business aspect and want to join the team. But if they have a similar style it's going to make it easier for me to edit the raw images. So that's really important for me.
0: And when you talk about finding a similar shooting style, how are you able to gauge that? Cause you know, it's one thing to to look at somebody's portfolio or on their website and that's only a tiny fraction of the images that they may have photographed. How are you able to accurately gauge their shooting style?
1: So for me personally, and I really get into this um, when I talk more into depth with them, but Initially, I I tend to gravitate towards people that don't necessarily shoot um, film style. Not that it's not beautiful because I wish I could shoot more film style work. It's incredible. But they tend to shoot a little bit more overexposed because they are getting that developed. So that normally doesn't edit entirely like my work. I can obviously take a raw image and do anything to it. I could make it light. I could make it dark. But having someone that has a really middle ground that kind of edits a little bit more similar or even a little bit darker normally works out better for me as opposed to um, bringing down the photo and needing to under kind of bring the exposure down. So,
0: But are you able to gauge that just simply through their portfolio? How, how are you, I want to kind of focus on this, this idea of a shooting style. How are you able to actually gauge what that style is? How do you know if their tendency is to shoot with more of a film approach versus not? Um, how do you know that when they go out with one of your clients that they're going to photograph in a way that accurately represents your brand? And are you giving them specific feedback? For example, when you see those images come back, how are you able to to kind of proactively make sure that that style represents your brand?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes into the second portion. So whether they could have the most beautiful portfolio, but no matter if they photograph 600 weddings or six weddings, I still, even if I love someone and they're super great, I still will have them shadow me and come along with me to one of my weddings just so I can see the way they interact. I can see kind of what they're doing if they spend a lot of time with details as opposed to guest shots. And that's really beneficial for me to gauge if they're going to be successful on my team.
0: Okay. So they're going to shadow you. Are they actually second shooting that day? Or are they just following you along and assisting you with gear? What does that actually look like in detail?
1: So when I do this, I specifically tell them, um, you are not second shooting. So it's not paid. That is the second part of the process. So the first part is just them shadowing along, whether it be for, even if it's just for a few hours, I really just want to see how they interact with people and that they, I don't put any pressure on them to assist me with gear. I always have my other hired hired hands for that. But this is really just seeing, bringing them to the wedding, letting them do their thing and kind of see how I interact. That gives me a good idea of if they're going to be a good fit. And then it kind of goes into, like I said, about I want to see if they're photographing guests or I just want to see how they're using their time. So it's definitely it's time consuming, but it's not paid for the few hours just because I want to see if it's even going to be a good fit in the first place.
0: Okay. So they, you get a feel for how they would engage with clients or guests at the wedding, how they would use your, their, their time, as you pointed out. But then yes. once they actually shoot that wedding or that segment of the wedding, are you then looking through those images and giving them feedback? Did you have training sessions with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I won't keep any of the images and I go over this really in depth with them, but the images that they shoot, I won't keep because I have my paid hired help. But I really like to sit down with them and just go over constructive criticism. Um, I just like to look through the images and see how they utilize their time and what they could do with a short amount of time. Um, And I'll go over if I feel like it's someone that's really going to be... A great fit for us. I'll kind of go over um, like, this is what I would do differently, or this is how I would have photographed this. And I say this loosely because I don't really want to alter people. So I really want to bring on people that have their own vision. They have their own uniqueness because that's what I have. So I really like to find people who naturally gravitate towards Photographing emotions and photographing the cute little details. So sometimes I will spend a lot of time with someone giving constructive criticism so they can grow and kind of be a really ben- beneficial member of the team. But other times, if it just seems like there's too many things that are far off from what I would normally do, I won't waste my time or their time because it really has to come from the the experience overall when they shadow the wedding.
0: Okay. And what would you say, like what's the ratio of people that uh, you begin this process of interviewing and then maybe even bringing to a wedding uh, that you keep on versus those that you let go? What's the success rate there?
1: So I actually have had, I was about to say it's low, but I think it's high because the only people that I have had associate shoot and shadow are now they now stay busy with their own weddings and they're part of the team permanently. So, I would say it's really good. I have had a couple people that have expressed interest and it just goes to show how you're presenting yourself because even if people will send me an email with an inquiry saying, "Hey, I'm really interested." If they if there's certain things that I get a vibe that they would do a little bit off from me, or if they're not necessarily carrying themselves really friendly and really social, it really sets a negative tone for me. So I'm very picky, but the people that I actually bring on and have shadow, I work with. So I have four people now and that's pretty, they're the ones that have initially started with me. So I would say it's been great.
0: Well, that's pretty incredible. And it speaks to yeah. your, your ability as a judge of character, a quick judge of character. So that's really, really great. So you talked about the importance of similar shooting style to begin with, and then having the photographer shadow you at a wedding to further kind of observe their ability not only to photograph uh, or how they would photograph, but also to engage with with the client or with guests there. Is there another big idea that you implement when it comes to this process of training associate photographers to represent your brand?
1: Yeah. And you actually mentioned this earlier, but it's to be consistently giving feedback. So I never used to be great at this, but since I've been doing the associate weddings, I've realized it's really important to communicate. So if there's something I'm noticing in photos, I really communicate that with every single employee. I want them to be kept up to date. I want us to be on the same exact page at all times, whether it be client experience or editing. I just want them to be on the same page. So even if it's as little as, oh, hey, I noticed that you took a photo and it doesn't look like you checked your settings before you took another one. So I'm just, I'm really constantly trying to give them feedback, not only for their own work, because most of these photographers that I hire, they obviously have their own businesses and they want to be successful with their own independent photography business. So I feel like the feedback I give... um, it's not only beneficial to my business, but it can help them as well. Because it'll be, it'll be just really basic stuff like no, no cropping limbs or try to take it with a lot of extra space so that way you can get in closer if you want to. So. I think it's beneficial to everybody around if you're just giving feedback and staying pretty active in the communication process.
0: Yeah. And and that really is so important. And I know I stressed this earlier, but I'm going to reiterate it again because it can't be said enough. When it comes to running a business uh, in such a way that you're not being kind of run by the business, but you're actually running the business, you're the one that is managing it, overseeing it, and ultimately delegating You can't, you almost can't communicate uh, enough, right? It it is so, so important to understand the significance of communication in detail. And, you know, something that, again, I'll allude to Photographer's Edit because it's a really great example of the significance of communication in this process of delegation. I know that some photographers um, can get a bit frustrated with um, the seeming necessity to communicate beyond just that, maybe the initial creation of their account with Photographer's Edit. And, um, the the reality is that for the sake of not only hiring an employee, which is essentially what you're doing with photographers edit when you're delegating editing work, uh, but then maintaining an active working relationship with that employee, it does require communication, not only first of all, to communicate the initial desire for that employee. This, these are the things that I need you to do for me, but then secondly, um, giving the feedback, Sarah, that you that you talked about just now on an ongoing basis so that the job that continues to be done or the work that continues to be done accurately represents your brand. And the last thing that a photographer needs to, to get is frustrated in that situation, whether they're working with an employee or a third-party company, because the, you know, the couple of minutes that they may have to spend communicating, whether it's typing an email or giving feedback in, in, in their account or whatever it might be, um, that still ultimately is saving them hours and hours and hours, and ultimately generating more income for their business because they have they're they're giving that information to somebody else to carry out. They are no longer having to do it themselves. So the trade off of a few minutes of communication is more than worth that small investment in time and energy. Because of the end benefit to their brand. Uh, So I'm glad that you ended on this point. And and that is, again, the significance of communication, communication in detail. You cannot expect your employee, whether it's a contract employee or somebody that's working for you in-house, to read your mind. You have to communicate in detail with them, manage expectations. And and ultimately avoid getting frustrated with that process of communication because it's absolutely necessary uh, for the sake of managing employees or third party contractors and and ultimately growing your business and and I'm glad that uh, that you make that point, Sarah. Do you have anything else that you want to add, kind of as as we close out here today? This has been a good food for thought when it comes to this idea of bringing on associate photographers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess the only other thing I could say is just be patient because you're essentially dealing with other people's feelings. And even though you have to be very upfront for your business side of things, you also have to be respectful. So I just think it's a learning process for all involved and communication is key and just be patient, whether it be waiting for the client to decide if this is something that's gonna be right for them Or if it's giving feedback and learning how to deal with um, uh, people that don't necessarily want or take the feedback well. So patience is key and it's just always going to be a learning experience. I'm still learning.
0: Hey, it's same here. And I've been in, in the industry now for close to 20 years. So it's it's a great <laughs> reminder. And I appreciate um, that that advice. Where can our listeners find you online? I know we mentioned your website briefly, but if you'll mention that again, as well as um, where they can find you on social media.
1: Yeah, so it's just um, com. And then Instagram is Instagram.com slash Sarah Lynn Photography PDX and Facebook, which I said wrong last time because I swear I know my own links. (laughs) Facebook is Facebook.com slash photography by Sarah Lynn.
0: Wonderful. And we'll link to those in the show notes. Again, for those of you listening in, make sure you take advantage of the show notes, not only for this episode, but the others. Um, Haley does a really great job of consolidating information from these conversations. If you just go to bokehpodcast.com, B-O-K-E-H, you can see the show notes there. Uh, you'll see the links from today's conversation there as well. Thank you again, Sarah, for making time for the Bokeh podcast. Thank you.